Okay, okay, okay. I think I think we're ready to go. Harold is in the building. Jonathan is in the house. So I think we're ready to go. Can you guys just maybe put the 100 emoji if you're all hearing me well? Some emojis if you're hearing me, if you're hearing me. Good to go, good to go, good to go. Yes. Uh, today we have uh, this Twitter space on uh, player recruitment in African football. We have some interesting gentlemen here who are going to share their perspectives with us. So maybe just to introduce ourselves, I'm Sultan Sulis, uh, the founder of Next Pro Sports Management, uh, player management agency in Uganda. And uh, you can check out more details at nextprosports.com. Uh, we have Harold. Harold, can you unmute and introduce yourself? Uh, hi, guys. Welcome to the space. My name is Harold Atkwatse. I'm a corporate and sports lawyer in Kampala, Uganda, and also a founder of Phenom Sports Management and Brilliant. an administrator at uh, Salt Hill or Bright Stars Football Club. Very good. Welcome on board, Harold. Thank you. Yes, Jonathan, Jonathan, can you unmute and introduce yourself? Hello, Jonathan, Jonathan. Let me try and rebring Jonathan on. Uh, okay, hold on. Yes, that. Uh, testing, testing. Yes, one, two. Come on board. You, you're live and clear. Hi, Sultan. Hi, Harold. Hi, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Uh, thanks for joining. Yet. Yeah. Uh, been added to the stage. I'm delighted to be here with all of you. Uh, I am uh, the co-founder of Future Global Sports, which is a sports management consultancy based in, in the UK. And we've also worked in a lot of different markets and worked with different variety of players, including African players. Uh, I'm also the founder and um, publisher of Just Football, which is a world football website uh, in which we have covered several tournaments in Africa, African Cup of Nations and, and things like that. So uh, I also run the Nordic Football Podcast, which is a Scandinavian-based uh, podcast on, on football in Scandinavia so uh, pleasure to be with you all uh, Sultan thanks for setting this up Harold it's really nice to be on the stage with you and I'm looking forward to chatting about uh, recruitment in African football I think it's going to be a, an exciting discussion fantastic let's let's get started man let's get started I'm, I'm very curious about what you guys have in stock let me bring Harold back on stage Harold um, I just wanted you to give us some some insights on, 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 on the African market. You know, we have, we have seen some, some good products over the years. Maybe recently we have seen the Mosalas, the, 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 the Saidomanes, you know. So I wanted to have your, your, your insight on why this market is, is, is really, you know, so good and so attractive for these top, top leagues. Uh, thank you, Sultan. And uh, good evening once again to everybody on the space. 
Uh, Africa is has for the longest time been a cradle of some of the best footballers in Europe and in other leagues. From uh, the early 90s with the George Wears, from uh, our very own Majid Musisi in, uh, in Turkey, from the Pele's. We've dominated Europe, we've dominated the French leagues, we've dominated the Spains. And... Can you guys hear me? Can you guys hear me? Hello? Hello? Oh yeah, let me just go on. So yeah, we've dominated some of these some of the best leagues in the world for quite some time. And uh you cannot have a conversation about football without, uh, especially European football, without talking about African football. We have, uh, <clears throat> we have over the years been a very, very good source for talent. Even back here in Uganda, we haven't had so many players play in Europe. But uh, when you speak of countries like Nigeria, countries like Ivory Coast, when you speak of countries like Ghana, they've had tremendous success in Europe. When, uh, I mean, we remember the teams of Nigeria, like the team that dominated the 1996 Olympics, almost everybody in that team played in. In Europe, the Nwanko Kanus, the JJ Okochas, the Taribo Wests, the Sunday Olises, and many others. Uh, when you bring it a little bit back, back home, you can remember the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. And how Ghana flew our flag that uh, how Ghana flew our flag so high into the quarterfinals, which I think is the best we've done we've ever done. We've also had stars like the Didier Drogba's, the Emmanuel Adebayo's, the Mo Salas of now Riyad Mahrez, and so many others all over Europe. But really, we've been a very, very, very good cradle for football on the European market, and. Uh, most of the players, some have been lucky to be recruited from Europe, especially in France. Those who come from West Africa and I think North Africa, the likes of uh, the Zinedine Zidanes who, who have their roots in, uh, in Northern Africa, Riyad Mahrez, Karim Benzema and others. Then we have uh, the crop that's from West Africa. The, maybe the Kali Dukulibali, the Angolo countries, and and many others that we know. Uh, our biggest, I mean, when you talk to most people about African footballers, when you talk about when you talk to most people in Europe about, about African footballers, what what has sold them over the years has usually been pace and power. People will tell you, "Oh no, we're looking for a strong, energetic guy." who can play like Didier Drogba, someone who can play like uh, George Ware. Uh, we, haven't, uh, we haven't had so many people sold for their skills, like Mo Salah has been sold this year, like Riyad Mahrez. Most people have been for the pace and power aspect of their games, which is, uh, I think we've seen Romelu Lukaku come out and complain about and say, look, when I make a dribble, it's not because I'm a skilled footballer, it's because I'm a, 
I have pace and power, I've beaten him with my pace and power and things of the sort. So our dominance in Europe has really been about the pace and power aspect. And uh, that's what most African footballers who have made it out of here. I remember having a conversation with uh, Sonko, the former Wigan, and I think and I think Wigan footballer in 2018, when he was here with Emmanuel Eboe. And I was telling him about Ugandan footballers like Nelson Senkatuka, Paul Muchurezi, uh, uh, Shaban Muhammad at the time. And he said, ah, look, these are really talented footballers, but it won't be easy for them to make it out there if they are not this big or they are not this fast or they are not this powerful. And I could see where he was coming from, something that Ebuwe confirmed also and said, ah, no, look, we made it. We make it because we work we were eager to work and show that we work extra. We put in an extra effort and we were admired for that. So that's what recruitment from Africa has looked in the past. Yeah, that's what I can see on that for now. Yes, Harold, thank you. Thank you very much for that. Um, I just want to briefly bring on... Uh, on Jonathan. Jonathan, uh, what do you think of the African market, man? What's your view on that? Yeah, I think you make some really interesting points, Harold, there. And, and, and I think the main challenge is when you look at recruitment in African football is kind of... I mean, the first thing to state is that every, every kind of continent has, has a different kind of flavour to it, doesn't it? And, and there's always that kind of end goal of like we, the desire to see an African team win a World Cup. And that's kind of, for me, when you look at African football, that's kind of like the end goal. I think, I think the furthest that we came in, in terms of uh, achievement-wise was probably the, the South Africa 2010 World Cup. Who here can probably forget that? And obviously, uh, Luis Suarez forever uh, an enemy of the African people after, after what happened in the, in the Ghana game. Um, and, and that progress as well of being there. And obviously, I was there in South Africa in 2010 to, to witness it and, and seeing Africa kind of taking its place on the global stage. And I think that when you when you kind of reflect on on African football, I think I think that's kind of the end goal of it, isn't it? We we want to see players, we want to see stakeholders, we want to see people involved, people on the stage, kind of making their impact in the game in a fair and, and equitable way. And there's been steps taken to kind of hopefully achieve that. Um, but of course, there's there's a long way to go. I think I think we look at when you look at the likes of Samuel Eto'o. Didier Drogba, Mo Salah right now, Sadio Mane, those players kind of act as, as tent poles for, you know, what can be achieved and, and, and the ability. But of course, part of this discussion today is, of course, going to be around the challenges as well. And, 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 and kind of, I think people working in within, within the game of football, our responsibility to make sure that the, the pathways are there, to make sure that the, um, the ability to kind of maximise the potential of the continent it can be realised not only through players, um, but also through people working in the game, people like Sultan, people like Harold, people who, who can sort of go from wherever they are, whichever country, and, and maximise their potential and help the next generation to kind of develop as well. So I think there's so many. I mean, I, I always say when, when talking about Africa, it, it, you know, we're talking about 52 plus countries here. So it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to generalise and it's, it's, not, it's not the best thing to do to generalise. But of course, a lot of the challenges within African football are, you, are quite, quite unique to the continent. Uh, even if it's country by country perspective, slight differences and slight nuances, but uh, ultimately, I think player recruitment plays a huge, huge part of that, 
and and I think that's kind of what we are here to talk about today, isn't it? And and how we can make those pathways smoother and and easier for everybody. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you for that for that insight, Jonathan. Uh, we, we we have some some pretty good guys in the in the in the spaces down there. We, we I'm going to I'm going to invite you guys at some point with with your questions and everything. But I want to I want to bring back uh, Harold and uh, <clears throat> Harold. You you are an administrator at, at one of the football clubs in the Uganda Premier League, uh, the Bright Stars, and uh, just maybe to give us uh, the brief uh, recruitment process, like uh, in the local league. How do you go about with this recruitment process? I've I've, I've been in situations with you where you've 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 recruited players, you've recruited managers, and stuff like that. So could you just give us a brief uh, insight into that process of a local club in a country like Uganda. Uh, thank you, Sultan. I'll start with uh, a story about Bright Stars, just to put things into perspective. I joined Bright Stars in 2017, the 2017-18 football season, July 2017. And uh, at that time, Bright Stars had uh, a junior team, also Tilo Bright Stars junior team, but they were not paying attention to it. It was their fifth season in the league, in the Premier League when I joined, but it was not a major point of recruitment. Their main recruitment at the time was uh, Masaza and other football clubs. Say KCCA is releasing a certain sultan, or Villa is releasing a certain Harold or a Jonathan, you bring him onto you, into your club. And uh, that had seemed to work for some time, and the juniors had been alienated. And the junior league, I think, at that time was uh, in their third or fourth season. I think third season, the FUFA Juniors League. So at that time, I found almost the average age at Bright Stars was easily 29, between 27 and 29. That was a problem because it affected continuity, because it affected uh, productivity on the pitch. These were older players and uh, also had uh, budget implications because the salaries that you cannot pay to players who are in that age bracket well, the salaries that you can give to players who are starting their careers in the in the in the Premier League. So when I came on, we said to change that, and uh, the first person I called onto Bright Stars was Ian Mutenda. I think most of them know Ian. Most of you guys know Ian. Ian is the current technical director of Bright Stars. So when Ian came on, we set onto working closely with uh, the junior team. Uh, the Bright Stars junior team at that time it was coached by Frank Molindwa. And uh, the next thing we did was to, whichever players came in, they had to be below 24. But our target really was to target players between 18 and 21. Because I believe that's, that's the age. By 21, someone should have established themselves as a footballer. In the, the bigger majority of footballers in the world will have established themselves. At least they'll have an identity in football by, by the age of 21. So we set out to do that. 
we tried a level best to promote uh, some of the juniors in the team, in the junior team. At that time, we had uh, we had uh, Were, Derek Were, who we just brought on, who we just resigned as a goalkeeper. We had uh, a few other guys whose names I can't remember off head. But, I mean, when we brought them into the, the senior team fold, the head coach at the time said, no, these guys cannot compete. You have to let them go elsewhere or it won't work. But that, coinc- uh, that coincided with the time when Mike was bringing in the Alan O'Kellos, when Mike was bringing in the Mustafa Kizas and so many other kids who followed that from the KCCA junior team. And this is the junior team that we were beating well, head over shoulders in the juniors league. So we tried to make a case for the junior team being our main recruitment place, for it to be our main recruitment strategy to the head coach, but he wasn't buying that. So for the two seasons, 17, 18, and 18, 19, we really, I think, had easily the oldest players in the league. But uh, towards the end of that season, uh, the head coach's contract was done and we had to let him go. And we started afresh on our recruitment strategy. I think that season we brought in, uh, there's a picture that Clive Chazé shared uh, a few months ago and we were signing, I think, 14 players at the time, which for me was total rubbish, total garbage. Why are you signing 14 players a month to the, to the start of a new season? But yeah, we brought in 14 guys and that was highlighted by uh, Davis Sekaja was a star with the under-20 team. And uh, Davis Sekaja and a few other guys who were a bit unknown, like Andy Chambade was, I think, 19 at the time. Uh, we got him from uh, Hope Doves, a team that I had played at. Unfortunately, it's no longer in, in, uh, in, existence, in existence, but it's a team that I played at in the third division. Uh, and a few other youngsters, there's Ronald Nkonge, he just went to Zambia this year. Uh, Court Moses at the time, Henry Chiwanuka, and a few other guys. Really, everybody we brought on that time, with the exception of, I think, Sewato and Godwin Bule Chiwanuka, was below 21. Uh, we started working closely with our junior team to make sure that at least every season we promote three to five players. That became a thing, and the head coach knew it. We brought the junior team into the senior team fold to help with the recruitment. And his sole purpose of being there was to make sure that at least he shares his knowledge of the junior team players with the senior team coaches and also to invite the senior team coaches to see these guys. Uh, the following year, that's when we, I think Norman Odipio came on to join Sekaja. We also got in uh, a few other lads, still below 20. But uh, we really set out to make the, our junior team functional and to make it a point, a, a main point of recruitment. And if you ask me, it's, it, it's worked. This season we promoted three other guys, uh, Shamran Kamia, the current under-17 national team goalkeeper, uh, Isa Bugembe, and uh, Ivan Irini Mbabazi, who represented Uganda also at the under-17 level. 
and they're all going to be starters in the current team and their futures look bright. Ivan is uh, is uh, particularly interesting because he's 6-3 at 17. Very good midfielder, holding midfielder. But yeah, that junior team has uh, that sole team of bright stars aspect has helped to bring in the junior team as a main point of recruitment for us. The other point of recruitment, which I believe we share with uh, almost all the other football clubs in, in Uganda is uh, the Masaza tournament. I don't know if any of us have watched the Masaza, but the Masaza is easily one of the most popular football tournaments in Uganda. And and I think they have the biggest viewership. If you go to a Masaza game, you might mistake it for a Uganda Cranes game. Uh, what happens with the Masaza? Usually the Masaza recruit from the different, from the different villages all over the country. It's a Buganda tournament between the Masazas of Buganda, but uh, I don't know. What's Masaza in English? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm not... I don't know. I'm saying village. No, 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 no. Village Saza, is Chalo. Sazas. No, Sazas as... Uh, I don't know. Who should I ask here? Timothy. Timothy Kutesa. What are Sazas in English? I don't anyway, we shall we shall get the Sazas later. Let's Yes, so the Masazas, it's something that's organized in the Buganda Kingdom for the different I think I can call them uh, uh the different regions of Buganda. It's an annual tournament and it attracts some of the biggest crowds around around the country. Usually their players are young lads from the from the Copa Coca-Cola tournaments and different high school tournaments or different village tournaments and all those other small, small tournaments that are played around the country. It's the biggest show. It's one of the biggest showcase of talent. I think he has to mention some of the guys who have played there currently. Almost the whole of the team that played against Rwanda today, with the exception of a few, have played there. And uh, players like it, especially at the younger age, because it's a bit more lucrative than uh, than uh, playing in the big league or in uh, in the lower divisions of Ugandan football. So the Masaza is, is 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 the second and one of the most popular recruitment points. The other one is the Copa Coca Cola. I think uh, we've all grown up watching those tournaments, the Copa Coca Cola tournaments especially those of you who went to schools like St. Mary's Chitende, schools like Chihuli, schools like Ntare in Western Uganda, schools like um, Vara Boys in West Nile, and then so many others, and so many others that take part in the Copa Coca-Cola. Budo SS, not King's College, but Budo SS, King's College's neighbors, Mengo, <clears throat> Old Kampala, and a few others. Now, Copa Coca-Cola is also an annual tournament. I think the last edition brought onto the stage guys like uh, Abdul Salim at Villa, Bobo Sibiaruhanga, who are representing Chitende, uh, Karim Watambala, who's a national team player. Bobo, you just seen Bobos on your TVs today playing against Rwanda. Uh, the, the Aziz Kayondos, the Mustafa Kizas who represented Kibuli and Kakungulu. 
so many kids, so many kids. It's like the biggest showcase of teenager of teenagers playing football in Uganda, and it's a main recruitment point. I can uh, I remember the time when we had uh, Nedi Kiseka at at Bright Stars in 2019 was because of his exploits in that tournament and we're looking to make that tournament uh, a main recruitment point. He sort of like had a database of, I think in that, that year he, he was coaching Nakaseke International School. But yeah, what we're looking for is uh, to tap into his knowledge. And in his previous year, he had coached guys like the Oloyas, the Hassan Waswas, the, the Robert Sentongos, and so many others in those in that same Copa Coca-Cola tournament. And I think in the past, when it was better organized, the, the winning team would go to South Africa for a, a tournament with, with other schools. And uh, yeah, that's uh, Copa Coca-Cola at the third recruitment point. Uh, Copa Coca-Cola, by the way, usually the winner, I think the winner from Uganda or the best two teams from Uganda usually compete at uh, a regional level in East Africa. Second edition was hosted, I think, in Tanzania, if I'm not sure, if I'm sure. And uh, we've continued to emphasize the Copa Coca-Cola. If you look at our coaching setup right now, we have Frank Mulindwa, who is very, very, very big on schools football as a head of a youth team, assistant coach, uh, Simon Mugera, Simon Peter Mugera, is big on uh, schools football with uh, Budo SS. He's also big, big with Masaza. I think he's won the Masaza twice. He's won the schools football tournaments with uh, Budo SS on three occasions. Yeah. And then the fourth recruitment... Uh, point is uh, the lower division clubs, the regional leagues, and uh, the regional leagues and uh, the fourth and fifth division, the third, fourth and fifth divisions of Ugandan football. Many might not know a thing about them, but in every region, I'll give an example of Kampala. I'll give an example of Kawempe, where Bright Stars comes from. We started out in the Kawempe District FA League and played our way all the way to, to the Uganda Premier League. And that, the district league was the fifth division. We later on joined the Kampala, the Kampala League and then uh, went on to join the big league, which is the, the second tier, and then the Premier League in 2013. But in 1997, when we were formed, we started out in the, fourth, in the fifth tier. So teams, in and, and you can imagine, we had players like Bernard Mwanga, who is a former national team captain playing for us. So that has also become a, a big point of recruitment. I just told you that uh, one of our standout players, who I think is one of the best defenders in the country, Andy Chambade, who might easily be one of, uh, who might easily be a second or third or fourth most important player at Bright Stars right now came from a third division team, Hope Doves, a few years ago. And very many other players have come through that. Bashil Seka Jahoz, currently, at, who was at Vipers last season. I don't know where he is right now, but he was at Vipers and, uh, and he was at Vipers and at KCC the season before and at UPDF the other season. He played out from Hope Doves. 
which is a, which yes, was a third uh, division club at the time. So yes, those are the four recruitment points I know for sure that the Uganda Premier League teams use. Uh, yeah, and, welcome and I think, I think those, are, those are some of the recruitment uh, streams that most of the clubs in Africa as well use. The junior team has been a very, very good thing. We have seen it develop in most of the countries as well. Uh, Masaza specifically for Uganda, those are, that's a very, very big tournament. The Copa Coca-Cola competition, the schools competition, in other words, has been uh, a very, very big thing. Then, of course, the lower league uh, teams. But I-, I wanted to bring Jonathan back on. Uh, I don't know if he can get back on right now. Jonathan, Jonathan, are you back on? Uh, 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 uh. Jonathan, come on. Come back on. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Yes, yes. Uh, Jonathan, uh, we we have seen the stories of 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 most of the stars who are playing in the top European leagues, and uh, their journey has has not been from Africa direct to 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 you know to 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 to, the, to these European clubs. It's it's either been through maybe a lower league club in Sweden or a lower league club in France or Switzerland, and that's where they 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 make their trade from. So I wanted to I wanted to get your your view on what are some of those lower leagues that uh, most of the African uh, players can go and, and and maybe build a, a, a name for themselves for 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 some of these top clubs. Yeah, good question and and some really good points from uh, Harold there as well. Uh, I think I think the the first place to start is if you look at kind of um, there's a report that you can download which I I, I strongly recommend uh, for anyone who doesn't have access to it. It's the FIFA. It's called the FIFA Global Transfer Market Report, and they do an annual report on kind of trends and and um, <clears throat> you know themes of, of the transfer window. Of course, with the past uh, report in 2020, COVID has, has had a big impact on 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 the trends we see, but there are still some sort of con- consistent themes that you notice. Um, so I picked out a few sort of interesting points that could be used for discussion, and, and then I'll sort of talk a little bit about you know the traditional pathway for for African players potentially into into becoming you know, the Mo Salah of, uh, of the football world. So um, if we look at the Global International Transfer Market Report, 180 nationalities were involved in transfers in, in 2020, 180 different nationalities. Um, but of those 180 nationalities, only 50% came from, uh, 50% of them, sorry, 50% of all transfers in 2020 came from just 10 countries. Um, so when you think about it, that's an incredible uh, concentration of, 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 of nations, uh, smaller number of nations involved in most 50% of the transfers in the world in 2020. The predominant uh, top three nationalities were Brazil, Argentina and, and the UK. Um, Brazil and Argentina are the top two exporting nationalities in world football, basically in terms of producing players and exporting them. But if you look in the top 10 of those 50%, of those 10 countries, Nigeria and Ghana are in the top 10 uh, of, 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 of the world for exporting players essentially so so what you see there is 20 percent of uh, the top 50 percent of the world's international transfers come from ghana and uh, nigeria in, in other words have come from africa so that just shows you the level and the um the 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 the, the, the sheer depth of talent uh, that can be potentially found in, in in african football 
of course, you, you might question then why do the West African nations dominate that kind of international transfer market? And, and that's maybe a discussion for another day. I know we have Sultan, uh, a proud Ugandan in the crowd, and East African football, I think, is, is strongly on the rise in an area that, you know, Sultan and myself were kind of focusing on. And I think definitely there may be announcements there to come in the future on that in terms of how we work. But, you know, just that just shows you that if, if you've got 20% of the world's international transfers that are involving African players in that sense. So despite this, though, African uh, countries are only receive, uh, received less, uh, sorry, the amount of money going out of African football, essentially what I'm trying to say from players, African football clubs receive more than three times the amount that they're, that they're spending, uh, according to this report. So uh, you've got kind of 300 million roughly that they exported to countries in, in Europe uh, in the last transfer window uh, and, and elsewhere, um, even to example, for example, to CONCACAF, I think 19 million, uh, CONMOBIL 22 million, UEFA uh, 510 million and even the Asian Federation 298, mil, uh, 298 players sorry so so what you're seeing essentially is a lot of money going out of African football but what what is happening to the money that's coming into African football is that being well utilized well 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 made to develop the country to develop the infrastructure to develop the resources um, of course at the moment there's been a lot of talk about uh, FIFA maybe introducing a, a global kind of a, a European, an African Super League, the equivalent of the, the European Super League that, you know, caused such a, a strong uh, reaction in Europe when it was suggested. But there's, there's potential talks about that maybe happening in, in African football. Will that be to the benefit of African football and players and, and exports? Um, is a discussion, I suppose, for everyone to think about at this moment in time. But to touch on Sultan's point and, and, and just to kind of answer it as, as quickly as I can, I mean, I think... The traditional pathway, I suppose, is, you know, I know we've got some people in, from the audience in, in Sweden as well, for example. So you would maybe look at a player. I, I could look at a player and I would say uh, a good example right now that we have maybe is someone, um, a player at Hammerby. His name is Akunkimbi Amu. He's a Nigerian player. Um, now, he kind of started his career in Nigeria. He was then brought to Hammerby in Sweden. Um, and then the traditional pathway, uh, as someone who studies Scandinavian football very well and is quite well connected there, traditionally, we kind of joke about it on our podcast that you will, they always will end up, if they do well, in either Belgium or the Netherlands or maybe Turkey. Um, those are the sort of three markets that maybe look at them most strongly. There's a player, for example, um, Odilon Kosanu, who was at Hammerby. He then moved to Belgium. Um, and I think, I believe now he's at Bayer Leverkusen. Uh, so that kind of, you know, that pathway... Um, and if you look at Bayer Leverkusen, they also have a player called Edmund Tapsoba, who's from Burkina Faso. And now Tapsoba has reached that level where he's now on the profile of top European clubs. And his next pathway will probably be from Bayer Leverkusen to the Premier League. So, so there you kind of see a snapshot just using a couple of players of, of how that pathway happens. Now, how does it happen from a literal perspective in terms of player recruitment? That's where the challenges are in this discussion, because... You also have, while we have a lot of success stories, uh, and if you look at, for example, Sadio Mane, he went from Senegal to Metz, obviously in France. They have a generation foot, which is an academy. Um, and then from Metz, obviously, I think he went to Salzburg and then, you know, he's, he's come to Europe by that, that route and, and gone to Liverpool and, and been incredible. So you kind of start to see the, the, the pathways that are there. I think, I think the challenges for players um, is making sure that you're aligned with the right people and making sure that you kind of working with people who have your best interests at heart from point A to point to point B. Point A being your starting place. That could be, you could be in a village in, in, in Ghana or, you know, Senegal or Uganda. 
Um, and your point B, obviously, your, your ultimate dream goal perhaps is going to the Bundesliga or, you know, playing in Europe, playing in Scandinavia, playing in, in France or, or, or winning the Premier League. So to get from point A to point B, we see a lot of wastage and we see a lot of problems in the sense of players maybe choosing the wrong person to represent them and, and, and sort of falling out of the game. Uh, there was a study from Al Jazeera, which was a, an incredible study, uh, where it kind of showcased and had examples of African players who, who kind of were sort of signed by rogue agents who would then give, uh, they would pay these agents their, you know, their, their family's whole entire savings to go to Europe. Uh, and in one really sad sort of case uh, study, they were taken to a, a random country and just dumped by the agent. Uh, the agent pretended that there were trials waiting for them. Um, and, you know, it talked about the mental health impact on the family and, and, and just, the, you know, the, the terrible being taken advantage of. And, and, and players often can end up, you know, kind of homeless in a random country in, say, Bulgaria or Eastern Europe, somewhere like that. Um, this, 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 this case study showed that, that this, this kind of thing is quite prevalent, quite rife. So it's really, really important to have the, the right infrastructure, have the right clubs, clubs who have players' interest in heart, at heart. Um, of course, it has to be a value prospect for the club. They have to have maybe make something out of it. But working with, with people in those markets that kind of understand football, have the interest of the player at heart and can help take them from, from step to step. So, you know, if you were looking, just to, just to finalise and summarise, if you were looking at, as I said there, uh, a player like Akin Kamiyamu, the question is, do they come from a private academy or do they come from the league structure? Um, now, speaking about Nigerian football, which is an area I know, I know a bit more about than, than, say, perhaps Ugandan football, uh, which Sultan can talk about and Harold can talk about. You know, if you look at the actual clubs in, within Nigerian football, within the league structure, uh, you would see that private academies are, are arguably uh, doing more in terms of exporting players than, than the clubs themselves. And, and you have to ask yourself why that is. And, and again, like I say, this is another conversation maybe for another day because there's so many you know, shoots he can go off on, on, on this conversation. But, you know, if you look at the case of Victor Osimhen, who's at, at Napoli, for example, now, Osimhen uh, started in a private academy in Nigeria. He, I don't think he actually came through the, the club system in Nigeria. And, 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 and that's just a glimpse of kind of where we see a discrepancy between private academies and clubs. So if you're asking, you know, do we, are we trying to develop African football, the leagues and the league infrastructure itself? Or are we trying to develop the players and kind of with no real consideration for the leagues? And, and, and that's a debate that kind of is, is ongoing in, in the football world at the moment. But traditionally, just to summarise, yeah, I, th I, think, I think Scandinavia is a, is a fantastic sort of launch point. Um, we're seeing now a bit more. Sultan, you'll be able to tell me about a, sort of a couple of Ugandan players who have gone directly to America, um, MLS and that kind of thing. And that's potentially a pathway that may increase in the future. And, and, um, and, and I think as well, we do see some cases in, for example, South America, uh, Eastern Europe, you know, maybe the likes of Latvia, Moldova. Um, if you look at uh, Abdullah Sima, who's a, who, who um, is a very highly rated prospect at the moment, he obviously went to Czech Republic, for example, and, and, and I think he started uh, in Eastern Europe his career. So there's a lot of pathways. I know most about Scandinavia. That's, that's my bread and butter sort of thing. And, and I think certainly there's a lot of benefits in terms of Scandinavian football, but um, as always in football, it's a constantly evolving space. Yes, yes, I think I think uh, uh, we have we have yes in in the Ugandan football we have we have seen uh, a lot of movements to the we have seen I think a couple of movements to the USA, but most of the movements have been maybe to North Africa. Then uh, the East Africa has been there. Dennis Onyango has been doing well in the South, you know, and we have had a couple of goalkeepers who have gone down there as well. But um, 
I wanted to 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 bring Harold back, and we see, you know, it's now a conversation of private academies and the leagues. And when you talk about how the African leagues have have, have been so weak over the over the past uh, years and and so on, you you the first thing that comes to your mind is is lack of infrastructures for for the development of these players. And uh, when you when it comes to, to 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 money and federations, we have had cases of mismanagement, corruption, lack of seriousness, and and all this lack of planning surrounding that thing. Uh, how much is it an, 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 an effect on a player's development uh, in, in, at the point where we're now seeing maybe private clubs, uh, private academies are coming in and instead of, 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 the, of us growing the leagues? How much is that an, an effect in the, in the player development process? Uh, thank you, Sultan. <clears throat> You've touched on uh, maybe three or four or five points in one, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The biggest problem on the African continent is lack of infrastructure, and the lack of infrastructure, of course, comes from uh, lack of funds. But uh, it shouldn't necessarily be the lack of funds at some. But the biggest point is is usually lack of uh, proper leadership, because. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, we've seen countries, people have, have, have usually compared us to, have of late compared us to Rwanda in terms of almost everything we do, but Rwanda has managed to put up a few, not really international standard, but good playing surface, good facilities, and, 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 a, few, and a few other <clears throat> conveniences. They managed to put up at least 10 stadiums, 10 stadia in, in, in their country. Whereas here in Uganda, we can only speak of maybe one or two, Philip Omondi and uh, Chitende. Yet we receive, I believe, the same amount of money from, 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 uh, from FIFA for, the, for FIFA projects. But uh, <clears throat> it's mostly, our biggest problem here is mostly lack of infrastructure. Our boys grow up playing in, uh, in some of the worst conditions and it's hard to Usually when you sit down and you're comparing people who are playing, uh, kids who are playing under-15 football in, in Europe or in other continents in, in the Americas and the ones who are here, you'll see that you see a very big gap in terms of infrastructure development. And we all very well know that <clears throat> that affects the end product of the football they are playing. The other aspect has been uh, the lack of documentation or data. A couple of times people have asked me, I've tried to put some players out there and people ask you, do you have their videos? Do you have their footage? Have you a full match or a compilation of what they have done in the past three years? And it's impossible to have. I'll give an example of uh, here in our country. Last year, Sanyuka televised less than 100 football games. That means there's so many other football games that were going on without any recorded footage. So when you're trying to sell a player out of those clubs that didn't have player or that didn't have televised or that didn't have recorded matches, it becomes a problem because it's, it's, it's like me telling you, oh, you can come and buy this piece of land and you've never seen it. Those two points have stood out so much. Uh, when a on the point of uh, private academies versus uh, established professional teams, 
that hasn't been a very big trend in Eastern Central Africa, but it's a very big trend in, uh, in West Africa. Uh, it's a big trend in West Africa, mainly because they have had decades and decades of professional footballers coming out of that region. So most of these come back and set up these, these academies. Some of these academies have also been set up by European clubs that intend to use them as feeder points, which has not been the case in this part of Africa. I, I don't know why more players come out of West Africa than, than Eastern Africa, but that's a story for another day. But uh, <clears throat> right now in, in Uganda, the main, main, main recruitment point is the formal junior team structures, the junior teams that are attached. To, we call them academies, well, for that name, but they're usually attached to senior teams. On uh, There are few private academies. I know there's Excel. Uh, that's Patrick's Academy. I know there's Edgar's. Uh, Edgar's takes part, I think, in the lower divisions of Ugandan football. I think in the third division, there is uh, Prosper's Academy. But even for these academies, their, their recruitment points have not been, uh, I can't, uh, for lack of a better word, I'll say they've not been original because they recruit from the same points that these clubs recruit from, I mean, from high schools. Very few kids have gone into these academies when they can't kick a ball and they end up graduating after three or four, five years after full, a full football education in four or five years. So in Uganda, our football is centered around schools, which schools feed the clubs we have in the, in the Premier League and in the Big League, which is the second tier. And then the progression starts from there. Maybe North Africa after that, Ethiopia, Southern Africa. We've had a few people go to the Scandinavia. Very few have come up, <clears throat> have come up, uh, have uh, I mean, very few have become stars. I think the latest one I can remember is Abdulumala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who came who came out of here straight to Sweden and then and then uh, Sweden or Denmark, one of the two, and then uh, onto the national team and then onto Pyramids FC in Egypt. They're very. I think amazing. Abdul was in the same was in the same category as as Moses Weiss as well. Yeah, Weiss went and came back. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, Uganda straight to Europe has not been a thing for the longest time, uh, mostly because of the standards, the, the low standards that we've set in the country for football. It's not for lack of talent, for sure. We have the talent to play football, but we've set very, very, very low standards for ourselves. Uh, <clears throat> of course, there, does, this, does this, does this uh, relate to the players as well? Are the players also not setting a big standard for themselves. Is that something that is affecting them on a player level? Uh, when you speak of players, I wouldn't want to blame the players for per se. For me, actually, the, the most underperforming category of Ugandan football personnel are the coaches. Uh, most of our coaches lack the basic coaching education and Whatever they transfer to the players is 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 usually not enough to to meet the international standards. I'll give I'll give an example of in the nineties and in the early two thousands we had our best coaches here go out to Europe to study the Mike Mutebis, the Sam Simbas, 
the 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 Simbes, all of them are German educated, German and other countries. The current crop of coaches we have, um, most of them are have been educated through the CAF coach coaching system, <clears throat> coaching development system. This entails them taking one, two, three weeks of, of study at Njeru Technical Center and then they graduate. Most of the players we, we want to take out there, people ask questions of why do our Ugandan footballers flop? The truth is they flop because their technical education is not that is not up there. Their talent, their hard work sometimes, their their physical conditions are very, very, very good. But the technical aspects of their games are lacking. And that's what has always left us. Left us. Uh, that's what has made most Ugandan footballers fail to cut the grade. I have been involved with uh, clubs outside Uganda in Asia, to be specific, in trying to sell them players. And they tell you point blank, if your players are from Uganda or East Africa or Africa, bring us defenders. Do not bring us midfielders. And they're trying to be polite. They're trying to politely tell you that we do not think your midfielders have the technical capacity to play at this level. But if you bring us defenders, we can teach them one or two things as long as they have the basics in place. And I mean, you've seen our best exports have been goalkeepers and defenders. Over the years, the Timothy yeah, Batavires, yeah. the Onyangos, the Smawatenga, now Postnet Omoni from the past, uh, Nestro Ichizito, and defensive midfielders, Tony <coughs> Mawages, uh, 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 and very many others have been yeah. defensive players, one to six. That explains what I'm trying to say about the lack of technical ability. Our coaches need to do better. Uh, unfortunately, um, it's not in their hands. The federation has to expose them to better education. I know a few coaches here who've done, who've gone, who've gone ahead and done the UEFA coaching courses, like David Oboa. And when you sit down, <clears throat> when you sit down and listen to David, and when you talk to the players who have gone through David's hands, <clears throat> know that there is a very, very big difference from the players who've gone through the normal, normal yeah, 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 yeah. Uganda coaches. I remember was. Was was part of the, the 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 technical team of the of the Lango province when they're in the yeah. in the Fufa drum and man you guy his yeah. training session if you talk to the players yeah. it's a different man I'm I'm surprised he's not in the league uh, I've spoken to David about coming into the league and uh, he's uh, he's very uncompromising I mean he says there are certain things he cannot compromise on if he's to come in and. And most of the teams, he says, do not meet the standards that he requires to work on. He's worked at Maroons before. Yeah, yeah, I remember. And uh, I actually was, was looking forward to working with him at Bright Stars, but I mean, it didn't happen. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with that. <laughs> let, me, let, me, that. Let, me bring back, let me bring back Jonathan yeah. a bit on, 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 that, on that note of... Uh, we've, we've, uh, Jonathan, can you, can you come back, please? Come back, come back. Uh, Jonathan, yes, he's back. He's back now. Jonathan, we have, we have, we have, he has talked about the the technical abilities of the players in, in African football, and uh, this is this is this is something that is very serious. We have seen some of play, some of the players 
go to Europe maybe for trials in, in some of those these, the academies and some of the clubs there. And uh, whenever they come back, they never go back, you know, and the feedback is never, is never a positive one. But uh, how is, 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 is the technical abilities? I know you've scouted a lot of games, you've watched a lot of players. How much uh, is, uh, is the technical abilities an area of importance for some of those clubs that side? Yeah, and again, really, really good points and a uh, really good discussion. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think, I think uh, Harold has just touched there on, on, on the biggest challenge and I think probably the biggest area, um, if not holding African football back, uh, certainly the biggest sort of maybe unspoken challenge. I think the best example of this, there's two examples I'll probably touch on. One, I would say, I think Yaya Toure is, is a very, very good reference point in this discussion about typecasting of players because... If you were to ask me what are the key, you know, Sultan, if I was to ask you now what are the key attributes uh, of Yaya Toure as a footballer, uh, I think 90% of the players in this room uh, or people in this room or people in general in the football world would say, well, he's physical, he's, he's, you know, he's aggressive, he's quick, pace and power, quote unquote. But, but actually, Yaya Toure was one of the most graceful, um, gifted, sort of silky footballers in, in the Premier League for, for about, you know, four to five years, certainly a key part of that Manchester City team. Uh, the, the kind of uh, won the Premier League for the first time in, in their history. Uh, well, Premier, Premier League, not obviously the English Football League, but the quote-unquote Premier League, which began in '92, um, and and you know he was a key key part of that. And, and he was as creative and had as much vision and had as much uh, ability on the ball um, as someone like David Silva. But David Silva was always sort of typecast in a particular way. And Yaya Toure was always typecast in a particular way. I'll never forget uh, Yaya Toure. There was a key game where Manchester City, I think it was a season they beat Liverpool to the title. I think it was 2014 when they were battling for that title with Brendan Rodgers. Um, where I think they beat Villa about 5-0 or something like that. And Yaya Toure picked the ball up in the halfway line. It was, I think it was 0-0 at the time. Or it was, the game was very open. Yaya Toure picked the ball up around the halfway line and beat three or four players, dribbled past all of them and smashed it into the goal. And kind of basically that was the launch pad for City kind of winning the title. Um, you know, that yeah. season where Liverpool kind of collapsed with Gerrard and, and the slip and everything like that. But if you were to ask, as I said, play, people within the football world, what is Yaya Toure's typecast? It's, it's pace and power and it's athleticism. It's the same with Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba is, as a player, he's, he's closer to Zinedine Zidane than he is maybe, say, Claude Makélélé. But people will typecast Pogba and expect him to be this kind of destroyer or use his body. He always gets criticism about maybe his defensive side of his game. That's not really his game. And Zinedine Zidane was never really expected to be a defensive kind of maestro. Pog was there for his grace, his ability on the ball, his long-range passing, his ability to cut diagonal passes uh, and that kind of thing. And of course, you might want to criticise other areas of his game. But th the point I'm making about when we look at, and you know, Pogba's French, but you know, I'm going to lean on his Guinean heritage here just to, just to kind of um, make my debate a bit more consistent. But the point I'm making is, yeah, the, the, the big challenge that African footballers face when you look at a European perspective is, of course, European football dictates the standards and dictates where the market goes. So if Sultan is, has a Ugandan player, for example, that he's working with, um, or if I'm talking to a club in Scandinavia and, and they're saying to me, well, what, what players do you have in, in Africa or what players could you recommend? They, they, they may look at a player and say, well, no, he's too small or he's, he doesn't fit the, the, the kind of thing that I have in my mind of what an African player should be. And I think that that's that's always a danger. Um, 
and I think it's something that we have to overcome. And I think the, those kind of un- unconscious biases, while it's it's not a sexy topic to to sort of discuss and and think about, it, it really is quite important. There there are so many sort of gracefully talented players that that probably won't get the opportunity because European clubs are maybe more looking for maybe the the Michael Essien type or or, or the 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 you know the Claude McAlelly type cast uh, or the strong kind of centre back as you've mentioned there or, or or the big striker the big tall striker. Um, I do a lot of work in semi-professional football in England as well, and, and funnily enough, you, you do see that quite often as well in in England. You know, kind of the tall target man striker in the semi-pro game has a lot more of a chance because he's big and physical um, than maybe kind of a, a player who can't hold the ball up as well, but maybe technically better. Um, so, so overcoming those those challenges is, is certainly a big area when you look at player recruitment in African football. I think that that comes down to the responsibility of kind of heads of recruitment. Uh, sporting directors within within the European space to maybe kind of widen their thinking of what they look at when they when they're looking to the to the African market, um, and what do they look for, and maybe being a little bit more 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 broad in 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 their thinking. Um, I'll give you an example, kind of I, I suppose Sultan, you'll know this player, Harold, you'll know this player, Alan Okello. Uh, now on Just Football, we named him as one of the most exciting young talents uh, a couple of years ago. Um, we do kind of a young talent series, or we used to do it. And Alan Akello made up made our sort of top twenty of players to look out for. Um, I've always thought in my mind Alan Akello would be perfect in sort of Norway or Sweden. And I look at his game, and he look, he's very similar. There's a team in, in Norway called Buda Glimt. Now they've just smashed the league records, scored like nearly a hundred goals in a season. Uh, they're now playing in the Conference League. Um, they're, they're in the same group as AS Roma. Um, won the title for the first time in their history. And they're very, they're, they've got very technical players and they've got very nice sort of gifted uh, players who play off both feet and that kind of thing. But, but sometimes when you look at, and I'm not naming that club particularly, but sometimes if you were to look at Alan Okello, w- would he get the opportunities in, in maybe a Scandinavia or, or somewhere like that because he is a technically gifted player? Perhaps not because they may look for maybe the more, you know, a defensive midfielder. They may have a, t- a typecast in their mind. And and sometimes that can hold pe- people back, and I, I suppose it's up to us, people working in the industry, to try and confound those confound those stereotypes and and sort of try and open people's thinking. Now, h- how you do that is is a, is a huge challenge, and it, and it can be quite difficult to to convince people. Um, I've had conversations with clubs where they will literally look at a player for five seconds and say he's too too short. You know, you, you I remember a, an under twenty African game, and and the player he went on. I won't name the player, but he went on to have a, a decent career. He's doing very well. But uh, I remember talking to the scout and literally within seconds, his, his feedback was, no, it's too short. He won't make it. And um, he was about six He was about six foot, I think, but he wasn't that six foot four strapping centre-back that, you know, traditionally you might want from, a, from an African player. So those are the, those are the challenges, I suppose, um, that are faced. And, and I'd be keen to hear people's thoughts on that. I'm very happy to take questions as well from anyone in the audience. People have been patient listening um, and hear feedback as well from Sultan and Harold as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, we're going we're to have some 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 few questions in a bit. But uh, before I I, I I go back to Harold, I want to still stick with you, Jonathan. Uh, we, we 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 again. Uh, you've 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 mentioned some of these problems. We have seen the sharks in the in the industry and, and and all these people you can't trust and all that. But how much is is is, is mentality? You know, uh, for 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 someone who has left his home country, has left his friends, he has gone to a new country maybe for a new challenge and he has new friends, he has to, to get used to a new culture, new language and, and stuff like that. How much is 
is mentality a defining factor in, 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 in a player who has maybe gone to Scandinavia or the Sweden's of this world and and how much can because I was I was in one of the one of one of one of the, the, the spaces a couple of days ago and one of the players, a Ugandan player who is playing in I think Romania, he came on board and, and he was was talking of how some of his friends maybe they didn't want it more. They they they, they weren't uh, willing to, to to maybe have that hustle mentality and and, and, and they didn't make it, but they were maybe actually better players than him. So how much is that mentality thing a factor in all this recruitment process? Yeah, great question. It's a massive factor, and I think uh, it's, it's probably the defining defining factor. I mean, this, this isn't just African football. This, this applies anywhere. You know, you take your average English player, and if you pick them up and put them in, you know, in Italy, for example, how you adapt is going to be a big indicator of how you succeed. Um, and that's just not not just the challenge strictly for for African players, I think. But but you're right, you know. Um, so I, you know, I used to live. Um, my interest in Swedish football came because I lived in Sweden and and uh, I lived in Gothenburg. And, and one of the one of the clubs has a huge track record of uh, recruitment with African players. It's Beko Hakan. Now they're based at, based in Gothenburg, a club quite quite close to my heart. And um, you know, they they've had players like uh, Alisson Kamara, uh, players like. Um, at the moment, they have a player, you know, from Ivory Coast called Benny Traore, a young player, and and kind of trying to get them to adapt to, you know, you come from, <laughs> you're coming from Nigeria or Ghana, uh, even me from England, who which is used to a cold country. Trust me, the climate in Sweden when I first arrived took some time to get used to. Uh, I remember going to a supermarket at, at eleven o'clock at night once, thinking, you know, uh, let me go and get something to eat, and uh, <laughs> it was the middle of winter, and I will never forget. Uh, the cold that night in terms of walking to the walking to the supermarket I certainly learned my lesson there um, and so you know you, if you're coming from Ghana or somewhere like a hot country like that it's even probably even more difficult and I remember uh, Al Hassan Kamara and his nickname Crespo he's no longer at Hacken now but he, he gave a really good interview about his life and how he adapted to to the climate in in, in Sweden and, and football, how difficult he found it um, but these but these are things that you you kind of have to adapt to I think he, he married a Swedish lady in the end and you know he he managed to have the right environment around him. He, he managed to you know get through that those challenges, the difficulties, um, and it can be very lonely and, and isolating moving to a, a completely new country. And and if you're not fully focused on kind of your end goal, you know wanting to be a footballer, wanting to make it, and, and maybe provide for your family, you can you can lose your way because there's 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 not only challenges, but there's also new new environments, new new distractions, things that can get you carried away. Um, so. That, that mentality and that strength of mind will, will always determine how, how well a player does, how well a player adapts. And, and that's not necessarily, like I say, just just uh, for African players. That's also for any player within, within football. But, but I think the, the, interesting, um, the interesting part for me is, is kind of the key part of it. And of, of course, when, well, Mental Health Day. And I think one of the interesting things, that there's a very good interview, as I mentioned, with, with Kamara, who, who's a good reference point because he had quite a successful career in Sweden. Um, he mentioned kind of like the, the the biggest challenge for him was the the mental health side of it and and the kind of he moved there and the people who had helped him move there didn't really have that much kind of say or influence on him when he moved there. There was no real support system necessarily. Um, the club did what they could. They, obviously, they gave him accommodation, but he struggled with the kind of day to day, having someone to talk to, maybe helping with his challenges. And I really feel that 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 is a massive massive part of it in terms of how people can, players can adapt because. We do sometimes, as an industry, look at um, we do look at as an industry as, as players as kind of commodities. Uh, they transfer for millions of pounds, 
and we expect them to kind of just fend for themselves. Well, you're paid loads of money, so you should be able to deal with it. And, and, I, and I don't think sometimes we, 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 we appreciate the challenges that it can take from going from one country to another, re-establishing itself, whilst also performing to a higher level, um, improving your game, developing, if you see what I mean. And so it, these are huge, huge challenges that people have to overcome. And, and, and I think that resilience does help African players when they do get to the top. Um, if you look at someone like Sadio Mane, you know, the challenges he's had to overcome every single step along the way, um, that, that resilience can help you when, you, when you're in Liverpool in a, in a high-pressure environment. Um, but, but I really think sort of someone like myself maybe or, or Sultan kind of working in that space of it now, working maybe more on the player side or helping with recruitment, I think, I think making sure there's a support system for the player. You know, they might be leaving their family, for example, in, in many cases, um, and their family is thousands of miles away. Uh, making sure there's that support system for them, making sure their needs are met to be able to adapt to the new environment, whilst also making them aware of the, of, of, of the level that they're going to, because often it is a very high step up, and, and just adapting to that is, is a challenge in itself. So um, I think from my point of view, I'm, I'm constantly thinking about that. When, when you're looking at a player and profiling player to, to maybe go to, to Scandinavia, and I see some people in the audience who've had experience in, in this area, I think, um, who... You know, I see someone perhaps who worked at Right to Dream Academy, for example, um, and they're very, very good with the way they they um, they model that men mental modelling in terms of helping players as as people as well, holistically, not just as a commodity that you're sold. And once we've got the money or got extracted the value, we we, we leave them and leave them to themselves. It's something that I think about quite a lot, and I think I think that can often be the difference between a player that makes it and a, and a player that maybe loses it a bit along the way and and maybe goes off the radar. Okay, okay, okay. I've, uh, I've, I've been going through the, the, the peop some of the people we have in the audience. Um, uh, I think, uh, let me see, let me see, let me see. We have, uh, we have some pretty good guys in the, in the audience, but I, want, I don't know if Mr. Shafiq, Shafiq Bekwasu, you, you, you're an ex-player, you've, you've, you've played for, for AC Villa, for Express Proline, and uh, I don't know, is it, is it possible to bring you on board, Mr. Shafiq? Um, I'm sending you an invite to speak. Can you come on board and maybe give us some few insights on, on something, some some of the challenges that we have tackled? Mr. Shafiq, I, I don't, I don't Shafiq know if he's... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, that's very, it. very, very good local coach. I think he's away for studies right now, but uh, yeah, fantastic lad. Formerly at ProLife. Yeah, I wanted, I, I, wanted his, I wanted to have his perspective, but... Uh, Harold, before I bring on Shafiq, if he accepts the invite, uh, we have had stories of of age cheating a lot in African football, and it's been part of yeah. the game for a very, very long time. You know, and uh, we, have, yeah. we have had situations where you, you even get it from the coaches where they're saying this kid is is, is seventeen, but he has uh, a fifteen year old football age. His, his, his football age is fifteen years, or he's twenty years old, but his football age is is is, is ten years old. You know, yeah. stuff like that. How much is, has this affected the, 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 be it the development process or the, 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 the career process of some of the African players? Uh, before I answer the question, let me, but let me first uh, reference something small on uh, mentality, just to add to Jonathan's point. As, okay. uh, watching an interview by Arsene Wenger recently, it's, it's not a recent interview, but I just I only saw it a few days ago, and he was talking about uh, the fact that only 1% of the players in academies in England make it to the Premier League. 
and he says that 67% of the players who are in the academies between 16 and 20 are not in football anymore at the age of 21. They have given up on football. And he was calling upon football academies to pay some, some, some attention to the mental, <clears throat> mental coaching and mental aspects of the game and to give an all-round and balanced education to these boys and help them uh, <clears throat> cope with the, with the huge demands of the game. Uh, the other thing that comes to mind when someone talks about the mentality and the coping mechanisms and things like that is Ibrahim Sekaj, the former Uganda Cranes captain. The guy who came... Top, before... top player. Yeah, yeah, top, top, top lad. But what stands out in his story is that when he left Uganda, he went to Argentina and played for three different clubs in Argentina. I don't know how many you can. I mean, if you can't cope in Europe, then you'll definitely not stay in Argentina for a day. But he went to Argentina and played for three different clubs there. And then finally, he was signed to, to Red Bull Salzburg in Europe. For me, Sekaja's story was a, is a story of mental strength and persistence, which very many young lads in our game need to, 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 to learn to, to have. Uh, the, the direct opposite of, of Sekaja's story is Joel Madondo. We all know what happened to Joel recently while he was away in, in Casablanca. Yeah, very sad story. Yeah, very sad story. But uh, yeah, having said that, I'll speak about uh, age cheating. This thing is real. It happens in Uganda, in Africa, in South America. And uh, very, very, very many footballers have been victim of this. Uh, it's a vice that that uh, it's a vice that has eaten up the industry. You will, on very many occasions, hear stories of footballers who have retired in their thirties officially. But I mean, people who know them are way, 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 way older. We've had jokes about the Nigerian footballers like Martins Obafemi and others. But uh, these days, it's been curbed largely curbed because most footballers are now coming through the formal system, formal academies, formal junior teams, and uh, formal under, sorry, formal, formal age grade systems. I mean, under 15, under 17, under 19, under 20 now, under 23, and things like that. And usually for someone to play for the under 20, for the under 17 in a in a competition like the FUFA Junior League, if I may say, or the recent Sekafa Under-17 tournament, you must have passed the MRI test, which confirms your age. It's a bone marrow, a bone test that helps uh, establish whether you're above 17. And that has gone a long way in, in eradicating that age cheating, in, especially in Africa. Uh, that's kudos to FUFA here because it has helped, you see that most of the lads that are coming through the system uh, are actually of that age, the age they say they are. I'll uh, give a small example that's close to bright stars, like many of the examples I've given today. We have uh, a lad from the junior team called Isa Bugembe. Isa Bugembe played at the under-17 tournament in, uh, in Rwanda recently, and when his picture leaked to the media, okay, not leaked, when his picture came out in the media, everybody thought he was, 
everybody said he was above 17 and there is no way he could he could be under 17 but i have seen isa i have been around him and when you actually look at him he looks under 17 his body has matured faster than his actual age but in addition to that he has passed mri tests on three occasions and these things are usually very accurate He's passed them here on the re- on the local level with uh, Bright Stars trying to play in the Juniors League. And he's also passed them at the Sekafa level. So, yeah, the vice is still there, but it's, 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 uh, it's dying out because of what I've just mentioned. <clears throat> and, yeah, yeah, that's what I can say on that. 